0: Welcome everybody to the UDR podcast. I'm Tom Forsyth here with Bill Ward. We're going to discuss everything recovery, different perspectives, and different experiences in recovery with people we know and people around the world. Welcome everybody to our big book study that we record live every Sunday on Zoom at 7 p.m. Mountain Daytime. Bill and I do not represent any 12-step fellowship, but we're just here to share our experience with the big book um, of Alcoholics Anonymous and how the directions, how we've applied it to our lives and um, how we've brought other people through the directions and applied it to their lives. Uh, We will be discussing God. It is not a religious God. It is just a God of our understanding. So please keep an open mind. If you have any questions about Um, the episodes today we do have an email uh, fosdfl at gmail.com and it stands for fellowship of the spirit designed for living at gmail.com so that's fosdfl at gmail.com so if you have any questions or you want any information please shoot us an email we would be happy to answer any questions so we just hope everybody enjoys and if you resonate with our episode today Please follow us. And if you know anybody that could benefit from this episode, please share it with them. Thanks a lot.
1: I won't really see the truth until I do this with somebody else. And and when I say with somebody else, to me, so this is Tommy and I's uh, version of what how we've experienced the literature through our sponsorship and through our own lives. Tommy's done many step fives with many different types of people. I did my first one with a clergyman and my second and third and fourth one with uh, AA members. And I've gotten so much more value by doing it with a God-centered 12-step person that understands this program than I did with the clergyman. And we're not here to say, you know, don't use a clergyman. You can use whoever you want. But heavy on this study tonight is we're going to be talking about using God-centered 12-step people. And why? What's the benefit of it? So, you know, a lot of the shit needs to be be revealed and, and looking at it from self, doing this by myself, I can't see self from self. I can't see the problem. And if I'm totally convinced that selfishness, self-centeredness is the root of my problem, then I better I better do this different, right? Because me left to my own devices gets me fucking drunk. So tonight we're on step five. And what I want to highlight about step five is step five isn't just a fucking part you do as you do your set of steps. Step five is live action in my life today. So as you go through your first set of steps, anybody here who's new to the program and you're just learning about what the steps are, step five is an integral part of this and we're gonna be talking about that tonight. But we're also gonna be talking about, well, what does step five look like in my life like today? Because that's more important for me today. I need to practice step five and understand the directions today. Cause I can't rely on my step four and five that I did a fucking year ago. I need to continually practice this stuff and through the directions, not the theory through the directions it tells me exactly how to practice this stuff every day. And to me it's imperative because if I don't clear this channel and I, and I let it get blocked off again, my solution to the blocked off channel is a fucking drink in my hand or a drug in my mouth. So I really got to be like diligent And and understand what step five is today, because step five is a massive piece of this puzzle on the day-to-day basis. And I find a lot of people to get a little time and just go and run their own program. They don't have sponsors. They don't have their pillars. They think that they're just good with God. And a lot of these people are running into a lot of conflict in their lives. You know, they're fighting everyone and everything, and they don't really understand why. And they have this connection, which they'll tell you they have, But why the fuck are you so miserable? Why are you always in resentment? Why can't you stay in relationships? Like, what is it? Because self is manifesting itself. And you can't see self with self. It is the root of all of our troubles. But we can't see it, right? So to me, I have to be sponsoring and I have to be sponsorable. As I go through every fucking day and week of my recovery. And, and And it's actually probably one of the biggest tools to the program, in my opinion. But, you know, once we get a little bit of time in and life kind of starts getting better after a year or two, we kind of veer away from our sponsor and 12 step pillars. But at the end of the day, we suffer. And part of the part of the deal about steering away from your sponsor and your 12 step pillars is most people don't make it to two years or three years. Why? Because a huge part of this is relying on your sponsor in your first year. Because they can call you on your shit. But then you think you got this after a year or two and you don't do it anymore. And when you look at birthday boards, people aren't staying sober. The simple fact is people do not fucking stay sober. A huge part of it is because they disconnect from their accountability with their sponsor or with their pillars. So, and I like using pillars because... If I have a a variety of people I can lean on to discuss and be an open book, I can get a variety of different perspectives. And if I'm gonna make decisions based on my own will and what I think, it can be often obscured by wishful thinking. And a lot of my intuition is actually driven by traumas that I will fucking mistake as intuition. But if I can rely on four or five people and go ask them questions about what it is I'm deciding, I can get three out of four that say the same thing and one that maybe says something else else. But if I'm listening to the three out of four or the four out of four telling me one thing and I'm thinking another, I better stop and fucking look at it. And and that's just the way it is. So, you know, um, guns, anything before we get reading? Um.
0: I think just on that note, it's important that we don't call multiple people so that we get the right answer. <laughs> if we call four people and one person gets us gives us the answer we want to hear, we better consider the other three as well, because um, I see that happen often. But um, yeah, I think that's all before we get started. here.
1: And, and I think it's important that as you're growing in your, your own fellowship and you're you're relying for advice on people who are on step three or step two or step four or step five. Be real careful, but we're relying on people that are in the lower steps that have never done this or they're constant relapsers and shit because they're not, they don't fucking get what we're doing here yet. That's why it's important that they be God-centered and 12-step, hopefully working with others, hopefully doing inventories and the things that usually God-centered 12-step pillars do. That's why I don't just say 12-stepped people. I mean centered in God and 12-stepped. Because then you're going to get advice that somebody is centered from God with. And it's important not to rely on people that are not on fucking any steps or that are on step four or on step five. Because you're going to get perspective from people that are living in self that are making decisions commonly made in your world of the material. And it's the same shit that you're always gonna get if you listen to that advice. And I'm not saying that their intentions aren't good, and I'm not saying that some of their advice isn't valid. I'm just saying for your own personal growth, it's really important to seek out God-centered 12-step people and do what they do and, and listen to them, regardless. Anyway. So we're going to get started here on step five on page 72, chapter six into action. Uh, We will be using the 12 and 12 after we're done it in the big book. We will be going into the 12 and 12 for the, you know, second half of this. So having made a personal inventory, what shall we do about it? We have been trying to get a new attitude. So I've done my personal inventory step four. What are we going to do about it? I've been trying to get a new attitude. What we're talking about is step two. And I have mentioned many times through the study, attitude in the book means God, turning to God. I'm trying to get this new attitude, which is step two. A new relationship with our creator. The new relationship is now God runs the show. I want a relationship. I'm making a decision to turn my will and my life over. This is the relationship that I want with God. And to discover the obstacles in our path. Well, a lot of the obstacles were discovered in my step four. And that's, that's what that's saying. We, had, we have admitted certain defects and we have ascertained in a rough way what the trouble is. So that's really important. I've only ascertained in a rough way by doing my step four what the basic trouble is. And at the beginning of step four, it said um, being convinced itself because it's a problem, has manifested itself in various ways. And that's what defeated us. We, we, just, we looked at the common manifestations of self. So as I do resentments, and as I do fears, and as I do my relationship conduct or sex conduct, the book's telling me those are only the common manifestations. And step five says, well, all of, all of that shit you just looked at is a rough way, looking at, at the issues roughly. So there's way more to fucking this house cleaning than doing a four and five, but you can only do the rest of this house cleaning by staying sober and practicing the stuff, like I said, on a daily basis and redoing steps like every year or two, like really doing house cleanings. This is a continual thing. It's not by accident that the triangle, one of the triangles is trust God, help others clean house. If you're cleaning house, you're able to trust God. And if you're not cleaning house consistently, you're not able to fucking trust God. And if it's usually a theory. You think you are. And you can believe and and rationalize yourself into that you're trusting God because you pray. And that you do some nice altruistic actions. But you're not actually trusting God. And then through the aspect of help others is you're able to, to get closer to God. So let's say trust trust God is at the top of the triangle and you got help others and clean house. Those two at the bottom cleaning house and helping others are way more and fuck important than the idea that you trust God through the acts of the altruism of these two bottom corners. You actually do trust God. So the theory of trusting God is fucking got to be wiped out because it's just a theory. And you know, for the prideful guy who doesn't really like what I'm saying, I'm sorry. But that's what I fucking see. The theory of God doesn't get you fucking sober. And if you're able to say sober, the theory of God doesn't get you fucking happy. So I don't know really what to tell you. So ascertain in a rough way what the basic trouble is. We have put a figure on the weak items in our personal inventory. Now these are about to be cast out. This requires action on our part, which, when completed, will mean that we have admitted to God, to ourselves and another human being, the exact nature of our defects. And that's really important, the exact nature of our defects. Well, the word nature, by definition, means origin of. I can see the branches, but what about the root? Where is the origin of the defect? You know, step four is a vigorous and painstaking effort to discover what our emotional deformities in each of us have been and are. We wish to look squarely at the pain and unhappiness these things cause others and ourselves. And then this line, we want to find out exactly how, when and where our emotional, emotional deformities warped us. Without a willing and persistent effort to do this, there will be little sobriety or contentment for us. So that's, that's really important. What is the nature of these things? That's the third column. That's why I emphasized the third column in, in the resentments the other day. Because everyone in the program focuses on, oh, what's my part? What's the fourth column? Oh, yeah, that's my part, my part. Well, fuck. Your, your part's going to continue until you fucking find out where it's coming from. And if you don't want to look for it, what you resist will always persist. You're going to continue to have, you know, hurt in relationships. You're going to continue to continually be single because you can't form a true partnership. You're going to continually be fighting people and, and friends and, and keep moving in the circle because you're driven by these old ideas, emotions, and attitudes that have been guiding forces of your life. And we got to fucking look at those things, find out why. In the step four, and the 12 and 12, it talks about the four desires. We'll really get into that next week. I don't want to stay there too much this week. But the four desires cause us fucking all the trouble there is. And usually the third column in the step four resentments is always going to boil down to like um, security within my fellows, security within my relationship, security with something. Afraid to lose something or afraid to not get something based in an emotional entanglement relationship with somebody else. And it's important to get to the root of that. Why? Why? That's the nature of our defects. So this is a skim. I, I can get through this shit and dump dump the shit, but I gotta find out why. So I'm only gonna get relief if I just do a five, like once. This brings us to the fifth step in the program of recovery mentioned in the preceding chapter. This is perhaps difficult, especially discussing our defects with another person. We think we have done well enough in admitting these things to ourselves. There is doubt about that. In actual practice, we usually find a solitary self-appraisal insufficient. Many of us thought it necessary to go much further we'll be more reconciled to discussing ourselves with another person when we see good reasons why we should do so. The best reason first, if we skip this vital step, we may not overcome drinking. Time after time, the newcomers have tried to keep themselves certain facts about their lives. Trying to avoid this humbling experience, they have turned to easier methods. Almost invariably, almost every fucking time, they got drunk. Remember way back in There's a Solution, there was a line and I said, pay attention here. It said, there is a solution. None of us like the self-searching, leveling of our pride, admissions of our shortcomings that this process requires for successful consummation. And I said, what we're talking about way back in step one, in order for this sober thing to even commence, I have to do the shortcoming confession, Smashing up my pride, which is what step four and five is. Because if I don't do these two steps, I will drink. You know, without a willing and persistent effort to look for these things and work on them, there will be little sobriety or contentment for us. So if you were able to stay sober, but you're not doing this house cleaning work consecutively or consistently and persistently, there's a lot of fucking people that are fucking staying sick and they think sobriety is enough but these guys aren't fucking helping others they're not doing service work they'll tell you that their service work is coming to meetings and share and and the act altruism like we talked about earlier in this process we work out our solution on the spiritual and altruistic plane like the solution to this shit the design for living is what we're focusing on is spirituality And altruism, altruism, again, is unselfishly devoting oneself to the welfare, happiness, and well-being of others. If you're just doing altruistic actions every now and then from a place of selfishness, you're not working in altruism. And that's fine as you move along, as long as you're kind of moving along. But if you're just still getting on with the business of being self-satisfied so your life can be better, what the fuck are we talking about? That's not what the book's doing. But if that's, if sobriety is enough for you, then that's okay. You're settling for crumbs. If you just don't want to drink or do drugs, fucking go for it. The book tells me we think a man is unthinking if he thinks sobriety is enough. Well, maybe he's not unthinking, but he has a fucking uh, disease that stems in rationalization and it'll rationalize and justify the most errant nonsense to suit his actions or his inactions. That's why it says in step 10 and in the, uh, not step 10, tradition 10 our ancient, ancient enemy. And your enemy knows more about you than you do. And it's called rationalization. And that's part of the ego. It's part of justification and rationalizing our own actions and inactions in our life. Tommy, you got anything? Yeah. I just, I just want to
0: point out, like it says that, we have ascertained in a rough way what our trouble is. And that's what happens in, in the four and five. It, it's just a rough way. It's like the beginning of clearing the channel. Like a lot of people think that once they've done this step, because it said that if we don't do it, then we will drink. But they kind of switch it around to, well, if I do it, I won't drink ever again. It's total bullshit because yeah, I was the guy who did, I did like seven step fives. I never continued I never really dove into 6 and 7 and I never continued with 10. So what happens I get some relief from the step 5 and I feel great for about a week but then I'm hot and cold for the next month or two because I have a good week and then a bad week I'm full of anxiety and then I find a way to get relief from it and it's always this constant battle and eventually it just gets to the point like is this really what sobriety is about I don't want to fucking do this anymore. And then the rationalization comes in that maybe it's a good idea to drink. But I can't continue to live that way where it's like push, pull, push, pull, and it's all done with force. There's no power involved at all. I'm finding ways to find relief. I'm going to meetings to seek relief. You know, I'm, I'm praying for relief. I'm praying, please God, remove this anxiety. I can't take it anymore. And maybe it happens. You know, But then my thinking gets going again. The alcoholism takes course and my defects of character start running wild but I don't even know what's happening. Like, I don't think I'm doing anything differently than the week before. So to me, it doesn't even make sense. But my it's my thinking, it's always my thinking. My thinking is gonna drive me into defects of character and I'm gonna feel like totally restless, irritable and discontent. And I might be able to just go find relief somehow. And I'll, you know, I'll lean on meetings as hard as I possibly can because I need it, because I don't know how to, be connected in society, but I feel connected at the meeting. So that's better. And that serves a good purpose, you know, for a time, but it can't be the sole purpose of the program. There's a lot of people that do that. And I was one of those guys, but I also drank because I, I am convinced that I'm the real deal alcoholic because this is the only stuff that ever worked for me, but it was the continued of the self appraisal and inventory with a sponsor that it was the only way I could carry on and actually feel free with it. You know, not just have moments of freedom, but
1: weeks of freedom, you know? And what I want to add to what Tommy's talking about, he's talking about, fuck, I'm on the beam, I'm off the beam. I'm on the beam, I'm off the beam. And that is alcoholism. When you understand the disease at at whatever level, you start being aware and you start seeing fucking people. They're on the beam one meeting, the next meeting, their fucking life's terrible. Life's never been better, life's fucking terrible. Like, this is alcoholism. That is not emotional sobriety, right there. That is an emotional roller coaster that I will convince myself well, just because I'm sober, everything's okay. Well, you're lucky you're sober. Because mm-hmm. if you fucking keep acting in those emotional roller coasters, which is alcoholism live and well, going to buy things to fucking seek relief, going to meetings to seek relief, fucking fighting people, fighting everyone and everything fucking not being okay with some of your yourself a lot of the times. Like this is alcoholism. Mm-hmm. And if you fight in alcoholism long enough, you want to fucking put a gun in your mouth if you know you can't drink or you want to fucking pick up a drink and you don't have a choice, right? So it's really important to understand that six and seven is the backbone to everything we're talking about with this emotional recovery. It levels things out. And what six and seven is, is actually six is learning To relinquish these things that we're learning in four and five. It's actually becoming me hyper aware, teaching me to become hyper aware with me talking to other alcoholics, God centered in 12 step that can see me acting in self, see me on the roller coaster and help me find this damaged and unsaleable good and try to give me direction to discard this thing without regret. That's what it said in step four, right? We had to get down to causes and conditions. I have to get down to causes and conditions a business which takes no regular inventory usually goes broke taking a commercial inventory is a fact-finding fact-facing process by me making the call when I'm on the roller coaster to a godsend 12-step pillar now I got to tell them the facts and then we face the facts I might not like the facts that we're facing because maybe it compromises something that I want or whatever But if I'm really willing to grow in in the spiritual process and get better and feel better, then I better tell them everything and be willing to listen. It is an effort to discover the truth about stock and trade. It's an effort to discover the truth about my current situation and about myself. Because I can't see self when I'm acting in self. That's why I make the call. And then it says, Um, one object is is to disclose damaged or unsalable goods and get rid of them promptly without regret. That's why I'm calling a God-centered 12-step pillar. I'm looking to find something that I can't fucking see. And usually as I make this call, if I'm really willing to run my own good program, I'm going to see the shit while I'm talking to him. (laughs) That's that's what happens so many times. Well, Tommy and I will be talking to a sponsee and they'll be talking and then it's just like, I don't even have to fucking say anything. (laughs) They're like, dude, I see it. Yeah, you do. So what are you going to do? I'm going to take the action. I'm going to do this inventory. I'm going to go talk to this person. I'm going to make amends. And I'm going to go pray for him. And I'm going to do these things. Like it says in step 10, Tommy mentioned step 10. Step 10 is the keys to all of this shit we're talking about. And step 10 is not what it fucking says on the wall in the room. Step 10 is in the big book. And it's a process. And that is what actually takes you to this fucking land, this, this promised land, this, this place of serenity. But because AA is full of fucking opinions, and you go to three topic discussion meetings, all there is is people's opinion and they don't even want the step because they can't share on the step because they don't know the fucking program. But they sure know how to talk about honesty or willingness or whatever the fuck it is. No, let's talk about the fucking steps. Like seriously, like fucking my home groups, one of the oldest home groups in the fucking city. And we don't even have a step on the fucking board. I'm like, what the fuck are we talking about? What, what would Bill W original say to that? He would say, are you guys fucking crazy? Anyway. What are you fucking laughing at? Sorry, <laughs> uh, <hard> Nazi. <sighs> okay. So back to top of 73. Having persevered with the rest of the program, they wondered why they fell. fuck, really? We think the reason is that they never completed their house cleaning. They took inventory all right, but they hung on to the, some of the worst items in stock. They only thought they had lost their egoism and fear. They only thought they had humbled themselves. They, only, they had not learned enough about humility, fearlessness, and honesty in the sense we find it necessary. So I'm going to change the words a little bit here. They only rationalized that they had lost their egoism. I'm going to convince myself of the most errant nonsense to suit me. Yeah, yeah, I've lost enough egoism um, and fear. Yeah, I've really worked on my fears. I'm not even fucking fearful anymore. Like, I'll rationalize anything to suit my own pride. Like, fucking trust me. They only thought they had humbled themselves. But they had not learned enough about humility. Humility is the name of the game here. We got three phases of humility. Humiliation, humble through pain, and the third phase where the gifts are is a desire to seek and do God's will in everything you do. The building of character. The act of selflessness. Real altruism in the sense we find it necessary until they have told someone what all their life story. So, all of their life story, the book says here, and it actually italicizes all. So, what do we do when we do a step five, Tommy? How long was your first
0: step five? My first step five was two hours long at the uh, oh, well, it doesn't matter where it was, but it was it was with the man in the cloth. Okay. How about your second one?
1: Two hours. Okay. So this is what I'm talking about. My first one was two or three hours too. I didn't tell my whole life story at my fucking step five when I first did it. But what do we do now? Tommy and I, when we sponsor, we go right back to the start. The book tells us to. I can't see the patterns in your life to be able to help you properly if I only fucking get you to tell me what's on the paper. But if I talk to you about your parents and how you were brought up and how they were brought up and what was your relationship with them and your brothers and your sisters and how was the family dynamic and how did you get through junior high school with your relationships with your peers and and other um, female people or girlfriends, how did did everything go and build? Like, I got to find out exactly how, when and where certain things happened. And I can't just do that by you fucking doing a confession to me. And why I'm saying this is because I see people do step fives that are two hours, three hours, and I'm not saying anything bad about anything. I'm just sharing my experience. A two hour confession, step five, doesn't humble the person. They don't get humbled properly. They're getting relief. All they're doing is talking about themselves. Well, I come in here because I want to fucking be better. I'm going to accept God because I want to be better. I'm going to make this decision because I want to be better. I'm going to do the step four because you tell me it'll make me feel better. And I get to still talk about myself in step five. So it's all about me. But also in the step five, as, as we do these with the men we work with, we go through their lives, like it says in the book, and then we start highlighting and humbling them properly so that they can see what their actions are doing for themselves and other people because if they're not humbled properly in the step five, like it says here, had not learned enough about humility, if they're not humbled properly, step six doesn't fucking take effect. Step six needs to take effect. If step six doesn't take effect, the person's probably gonna drink, or if they're not gonna drink, they're in for a long fucking road of a lot of pain and still hurting people. So it's important to look at the literature and and talk the whole about the whole story of their life.
0: Well, I mean, if you think if you look back at the, the example of or the directions on how to do a step four, um, he's got Mr. Brown, his attention to my wife, told my wife of my mistress, brown me get my job at the office. Like that's that's a that's a that's a long talk in itself. And he's got like 19 words here. If I just bring those 19 words to someone and just spit them out. You know, I'm not going to learn anything about myself, you know? So yeah, I want to keep this concise because, you know, I'm not here to write a, a long story. We got to get through this as fast as possible, but there has to be enough information so that when we have that discussion, we can actually look at what's really going on. I mean, I need to know the whole situation and how, it, how it's affecting and what kind of defects of character have um, affected that situation but you know, I, I'm never going to get that by just telling the story and getting zero feedback because that was my first experience. The only feedback I got from the guy, he told me to just make sure to masturbate because my sex conduct was bad. He didn't want me sleeping with other women. I couldn't believe it. Like <laughs> that, that's uh, that, that's not the advice that I was looking for. <laughs> so, and, and that's the reality. So, I mean, if I am with a, someone who's well versed in the 12 steps, I'm not going to get that kind of advice you know, that's not, that's not what's going to happen. The other thing is as a sponsor and, you know, before I do a, a five with someone, I'm going to get centered with God. And then it tells me that intuitively I will understand how to handle situations which used to baffle me because like, if I'm all messed up trying to do a five with a sponsor, not centered with God, I'm not going to get, I'm not going to be able to give him what he needs. But if I'm centered with God first, I'm getting information that, And I'm saying things that I don't even know what I'm saying sometimes because it's that intuition, right, that happens. But if I don't clean my own house, I can't provide anything for anybody else. I cannot get in touch with my intuition for the other man, right?
1: Okay, let's keep going. So middle of 73. More than most people, the alcoholic (laughs) leads a double life. He is very much the actor. To the outer world, he presents his stage character. This is the one he likes his fellows to see. He wants to enjoy a certain reputation, but knows in his heart he doesn't deserve it. The inconsistency is made worse by the things that he does on his sprees. Coming to his senses, he is revolted at the certain episodes he vaguely remembers. These memories are a nightmare. He trembles to think that someone might have observed him. As fast as he can, he pushes these memories far inside himself. He hopes they will never see the light of day. He is under constant fear and tension, and that makes for more drinking. So that's a really powerful paragraph. Mm. Um, You know, because we're based in a society with the foundation of self, and there's a lot of insecurity in in our society in general, which is why a lot of people wear the masks, and and we put on this this front. You know, you ask me who I am, and I'm going to tell you, all the chips are on the table. Well, I'm Bill. Well, who's Bill? Bill does this. Bill has this much money. Bill this, Bill that, Bill that. There's all the chips. Why? Because I need you to think of me in a certain light based on the world of the material. Because um, I, I need you to see that. Like I talked about before, I don't drive the truck I drive for me. I drive the truck I drive for you. I don't have the big house with the shiny shit on it for me. I have it for you. So you can think highly of me, right? Um, And I want to enjoy the certain reputation. But the inconsistency is made worse by the things he does on his sprees. Yes, okay. In the light of the alcoholic who does crazy things on his sprees, um, coming to his senses, we do get revolted by the episodes that we barely remember. And that makes for more drinking because we're in constant state of anxiety and, and fear of how we're perceived by others. And, and because I need relief from the way I feel, I'm going to drink more, but let's put that aside and talk about while in recovery, as I act out in my own defects, what I'm doing is I'm dishonor, dishonoring my own consciousness of truth of what I know to be right and wrong. And some of it, I don't even actually know that it's wrong. But my consciousness deep down in me does, which is why I feel anxious and shit. Um, So it's important to not sweep the shit under the table today. I could maybe get away with that to the point when I was drinking, but it ended up bringing me here. And if I want to stay sober and I want to stay happy and and I want this different life, I gotta, I gotta really talk to my God-centered 12-step pillars about the things that I'm doing, the little bit of actions that I am doing that may be dishonoring you and me. And hopefully, the person that I'm talking to is non-judgmental. And if they are judgmental, they're maybe not judgmental is the wrong word, but I need somebody who's gonna humble me, who's gonna care more about my life than my feelings. Because if if I'm not if I'm not spoken to in some ways with firmness and authority and saying, you know, quit being a piece of shit, Bill. I need to hear it like that. Because if I don't hear that type of stuff from my pillars and my sponsor, then it doesn't fucking hit me the way I need it to hit me. And I need to stop being a piece of shit sometimes. And sometimes I'll rationalize and justify my approach with my sponsor and he knows me. So he'll know, and I don't even do it on purpose, But he knows me, which is why the benefit of me working with the same person for years and being fully honest is he's able to see the things in me that I can't always see myself because he's been working with me for five years, five and a half years. You know, Um, there's a line way back in one of the other chapters. This is by no means a comprehensive picture of the alcoholic, but this description should identify him roughly. Well, this is by no means a comprehensive picture of Bill, but this description that my sponsor knows because he's worked with me long enough should identify him roughly. As I tell him the story, he goes, well, what about this? Because he knows that about me. Well, what about this? I'm like, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I didn't tell you that part. Or I forgot. Or I told it to him in a way that suited me, but I didn't do it on purpose. And he's able to pull these things out of me. Why? Because they've established a relationship with him over years where he actually is able to see shit below the surface, that a new sponsor that I worked with, I'd be able to pull the wool over his eyes and I'd be uh, not benefiting myself at all. So to me, it's really important to do the step five stuff with, with a sponsor and God's 12 <coughs> step pillar, who, who you get to know and you build a, a relationship with. And he's not actually judging me. He's caring more about my life than my feelings, right? So, so that's really important. Anything guns on sweeping under the carpet or oh, anything? Oh man, um, well yeah, it's
0: just that thing that, and this is this is what will continue to keep me clear, is that like this this is the starting point of where I learned to do an inventory because I at the beginning I've never done one before, and I don't really understand the importance of it, um, but like we do get some relief from the five, and I now understand how it can affect me, like I might have a good week after I've done my five, but if I don't continue to look at these defects of character that I've, that I've looked at or that I've understand now, like from my sponsor's point of view, um, you know, and I just keep, maybe I'm like really angry inside and I just push it down and I keep doing that, you know, for a couple of weeks and then all of a sudden I just explode on someone for no reason because I got all this shit inside me that I haven't been dealing with. And that can lead me to drink. So, I mean, this is just like a a starting point. This is where I learned to do inventory for the rest of my life. Right. And it's important that I, I don't just sweep stuff under the rug today because I've felt what the anxiety and the depression feels like in recovery. And that is just not an option anymore. You know, I have the tools to deal with it today and you know, I have the humility to call my sponsor about it and be honest. And, uh, you know, I'm just—I'm not just not willing to go back there, and I know where it leads me. And it was—it was through a lot of pain and suffering where I understand now how I was actually acting because I thought I was working this program. I wasn't working this program. You know, I, going to going to just going to meetings and just saying some prayers it isn't working this program. The, I think the most important part of this program is the inventory, because without that, my everything else doesn't work unless I keep the channel clear. Nothing else in this program to me works. And that's been my experience anyway.
1: And so just to touch base on like uh, step fives, I think it's really important for us to clarify that if you're going to do step fives and it's your first time, just do the best you can. Whether that's a two or three hour with a clergyman, I I don't think, uh, I don't think I want to like deter you. I don't want to scare you away from doing it because it's important to just do it but i think maybe the point to emphasize is once you do this first dump and maybe you haven't been fully honest or maybe there's certain things you haven't been willing to talk about which is important that you try to dig deep and talk about them and get them out but some people through the experience of myself and others they just it just doesn't happen so i think it's important to get this first bit out and get that relief get through that first set of steps but remember through your first set of steps you're relieving yourself of the substance really only. And then we get back into the cycle of the program and, and we get to dig deeper. And then through sobriety, through the length of time you stay sober, this stuff will come up anyway. And then you get healthier, you get healthier and you want to relinquish this. And the things that you we were too fearful to bring up, at some point you're like, fuck, I can't, I want to get this out. And God knows that you want to get it out. And as you've built a stronger relationship with God and with your sponsor and with the program and maybe you're sponsoring by now, you get more courage as time goes along. So it's really important, I think, to, to not be discouraged by what we're saying, but go and get it out anyway. But don't give up on the program and think that you're, you're cured, okay? Because as you drink again, this stuff just goes back to ground zero again. And, and it's hard to get back sometimes. Okay, so we're going to keep going here. Psychologists are inclined to agree with us. We have spent thousands of dollars for examinations. We know but few instances where we have given these doctors a fair break. We have seldom told them the whole truth, nor have we have followed their advice. Unwilling to be honest with these sympathetic men, we were honest with no one else. Small wonder, many in the medical profession have a low opinion of alcoholics and their chance of recovery. We must be entirely honest with somebody if we expect to live long or happily in this world. And that's continual. Continual. Rightly and naturally, we think well before we choose this person or persons with whom to take this intimate and confidential step. Those of us belonging to religious denomination, which requires confession, must and of course will want to go to the properly appointed authority whose duty it is to receive it. Though we have no religious connection, we may still do well to talk with someone ordained by established religion. We often find such a person quick to see and understand our problem. Of course, we sometimes encounter people who do not understand alcoholics. If we cannot or would not rather do this, we search out the acquaintance for a closed-mouth, understanding friend. Perhaps our doctor or psychologist will be the person and maybe one of our own family but we cannot disclose anything to our wives or our parents, which will hurt them and make them unhappy. Keep in mind, everything that was written here was written in 1930s, right? 35 to 39. Yeah, without a fellowship either, really. It hadn't even developed. Right. Yeah. We have no right to save our skin at another person's expense. Such parts of our story we tell to someone who will understand, yet be unaffected. The rule is is that we must be hard on ourselves but always considerate of others. The book tells me the rule is for step four and five that we are hard on ourselves. So like I go to lots of meetings and I hear, well, I don't wanna be too hard on myself. I gotta look at all the positive things I do too. Well, if you look at too many of the positive things, more so than the negative things, then you're not gonna be humbled properly. So it's important to understand that this is about a humbling process. It's about humiliation in a way and about humble through pain. As I walk someone through this process of step five, I'm keeping in mind this person needs to be humbled and humiliated based on their behaviors so that step six means something. But I got to be careful with certain types of alcoholics because a depressive or a a self-pity alcoholic can take this shit really hard. So then there's a way that you build them back up and through the practice of doing step fives, you start to get in tune with, with the energies and you're able to kind of humble them and then, and then mellow it out, humble them and then streamline it. But as, as we go through with a depressive or a, or a victim alcoholic who can't see that because the victim's hard, that's the hardest to see. But they'll take things all personally and they'll take it deep down inside. And then after this process, they feel really, really shitty. So me as a sponsor, I've learned what I do is I really turn this to be like, look how useful your experience will benefit other people. You know how many people there are like you out there that suffer from the same things you suffer from? When you get to the place where you're doing what I'm doing, you're going to be so fucking helpful working with others. And, and like, I really highlight their experiences as we go through and maybe they get humbled so that they can see that this is destructive behavior, but then you kind of flip it and go, just like the book says, we will see how our experience can benefit others. So then it gives them something to look forward to. And it also subconsciously punches home the fact that, yeah, we got to pass this on to somebody else. And through the passing it on to somebody else is the greatest gift I ever received. So you know, that's kind of what, well, the book tells me it's part of my recovery, too. But it's, it's the greatest gift for that genuine humility. Um, let's keep going. Notwithstanding the great necessity for discussing ourselves with somebody, it may be one so situated there is no suitable person. If that is so, the step may be postponed. Only, however, if we hold ourselves in complete readiness to go through with it at the first opportunity. We say this because we are very anxious we talk to the right person. So again, 1939, it wasn't always easy to find somebody you could do a step five with. Nowadays, you can find it pretty easily. It is important that we, he be able to keep a confidence that he fully understand and approve of what we are driving at, that he will not try to change our plan, but we must not use this as a mere excuse to postpone when we decide who is to hear our story, we waste no time. So once you've done your step four and you know, who's going to listen to it, you don't waste time. As quick as you're done to step four is you've booked your step five. And if you're really lollygagging along at the end of your step four, cause this happens with most people, including me, as I get so much of my step four done and then the end of it takes fucking forever. So what I do is I book my step five with a date lights a fire under my ass so that I actually finish my four. And then I go bang into the date. Cause you don't want this shit that you've just done in the four to sit and fester. Cause in the subconscious it actually, Mm -hmm. it, it it can harm you. Mm -hmm. Okay. So you want to get that step five done as soon as possible, because then it's like a dump truck dumping out a load of dirt. You fucking dump that shit out. You got a big sense of relief and you're actually, you've, You got some time now. You got some time now. And it's important, me as a sponsor, when I see the real desperate alcoholic who needs step work right away, it's important for me to try to get them to the step five and get the step five done as quickly as possible. Because it gives them a lot of fucking relief. But by no means does the spiritual experience you get by finishing a step five, that's not the spiritual experience that keeps you sober. But a lot of people will mistake this feeling, this good feeling you get by doing the five as like, fuck, yeah, I do feel like the drink problem's been removed. I feel (laughs) fucking great. I think I got this at this point Mm -hmm. without having any inclination of what actually step six is about because step six is the keys to this shit. But you get so much relief and you feel like you're on cloud nine and there's a lot of things that make you feel like you got this. But you haven't actually changed or really worked on change. You've just gotten a dump of relief and maybe a little bit of knowledge. And, but, you know, it's, it's pretty, uh pretty precarious situation. <laughs> okay, when we decide who is to hear our story, we waste no time. We have written an inventory and we are prepared for a long <laughs> talk. There it is again, a long talk. And it's a talk. It's back and forth, back and forth. It's not one person talking to me and me fucking taking a couple notes and saying, okay, you got five defects, have a great day. It's a talk. A talk is two people interacting in a conversation. We explain to our partner what we are about to do and why we have to do it. He should realize that we are engaged upon a life and death errand. And honestly, this is a life and death errand. It's a really important step which is why we're emphasizing so much of this tonight. It's an important step to do your first time and to do once or twice, you know, once a year or once every second year or whatever. And it's a really important step to understand what it is today. What is it in today's live action? And when we take a break, we'll start out by going to step 10 and looking at where step five lies within the directions of step 10 just to kind of give you a better idea in case some of you don't really know what we're talking about. Anyway, most people approached in this way will be glad to help. They will be honored by our, com- by our confidence. So here we go. This is the action of step five. We pocket our pride. and We go to it, illuminating every twist of character, every dark cranny of the past. Once we have taken this step, withholding nothing. And I always, at the end of a step five, I say, is that everything, dude? I don't want you to be holding any skeletons in your closet. Did you tell me everything? And they usually say, yeah. But what I usually say is I'm like, okay, sometimes what I see is you might think you've told me everything. But maybe over the next day or two, because of your, your God wants you to make sure everything's relieved something might come up over the next day or two. So if they're actually still hiding something, they may really think about that. And then through the day or two after, the conscience says, I got to tell them. Then they'll come to me and say, okay, I got to tell you this. So we're going to read this little piece of step five, the finishing off of step five. And we're going to go into the step 10. Because we want to really highlight some things in the step 10 because Step 10 has the component of step five in there. And we're gonna talk pretty heavily about the component of step five and some other things that are in the 10. So just bear with us and uh, a lot of this will tie itself in as we get into the step six and seven also next week, okay? Okay, here we go. Bottom paragraph, page 75. Returning home. so. Tommy and I keep talking about the directions, the directions, the directions. Here's some more directions. So we return home. This is when step five's finished, it's all done. I will tell the guy, read this, and I will direct him exactly to what it says here. You return home and you find a place where you can be quiet for an hour. There's only two timelines in the big book. One is right here. You go home and you you be quiet for an hour. Carefully reviewing what you have done. We thank God from the bottom of our our hearts that we know him better. So clear cut, you thank God from the bottom of your heart that you know him better. Taking this book down from the shelf, we turn to the page which contains the 12 steps. It's on page 59. Carefully reading the first five steps, first five proposals. We ask if we have omitted anything. So you look at those first five steps and you really think and you meditate and you pray on those first five steps and go, have I fucking missed anything? Really, and think about it. And through meditation, you'll probably be able to first time maybe in your life, be able to meditate a little bit. Um, For we are building an arch, which we shall pass and walk a free man. So way back in step three, we talked about through this arch, which we pass through to freedom, the keystone of the new and triumphant arch, which we pass through to freedom. Well, what was the keystone back in step three? The keystone is, is that God is actually now my employer. I actually am a servant in sense to God. He runs the show. So I need this to take actual effect, not in a theoretical idea the theory that I'm turning my life over to God will make you go a long way around here. The practical application through the step 10, which we'll talk about here tonight, will actually allow this keystone to get set in place. So, um, building an arch which we shall walk a free man at last. Is our work solid so far? You ask yourself about those first five proposals. Are the stones properly in place on the arch that I'm building? Have we skimped on the cement put into the foundation? Have we tried to make mortar without sand? Am I, am I fully invested in this? Am I really wanting this? Am I really trying to change? Am I, have I done everything to the best of my ability? If we can answer to us, our satisfaction, then we look at step six. So step six will start next week and it will be two full sessions. Why? Because step six is the keys to understanding step six is fucking important. So next week we will start in step six and we will be reading in step six and in step four in the 12 and 12. So everyone have your 12 and 12 with you next week because that's going to be heavily relied upon. So right now to hammer home some of this five stuff, and some of the directions, clear-cut directions, we're gonna bounce into step 10. It's on page 84. Okay, so here we go. So for anyone that's not at step 10, that's okay. This is just gonna help tie stuff in for the rest of the study. Cause this is actually what it means to turn your will and your life over. Like when we say, let's turn our will and our our lives over to the care of God. And we, we try to always go, well, what does that mean? You know, is this God's will? Is that God's will? Well, what's God's will. This is God's will right here. And through awareness and through understanding step six, This practical application will actually change your life. It will get you closer to God. You will be able to be in constant companionship with God, and you will be able to identify self-will and do God's will. Won't always be easy, but you'll have a process, and as you practice this, you get better and better at it. So here we go. So this thought, middle of the page on 84, this thought brings us to step 10. Well, what is step 10? Step 10 is step four to step nine, in a nutshell. Step four to step nine is our, is our main program, the, the body of the program. And step 10 is a, is a fucking condensed version of those steps, four to nine. And I could actually say three to nine. So here we go. This thought brings us to step 10, which suggests we continue. And I want to highlight the word continue is four times in this paragraph continue to take personal inventory and continue to set right any new mistakes as we go along. We vigorously commenced. We vigorously began this way of living. It's a way of living as we cleaned up the past. We have entered into the world of the spirit. If you follow these directions, you start entering into the world of the spirit. Our next function is to grow in understanding and effectiveness. This is not an overnight matter. How long does it continue for? It continues for our lifetime every day, not just at night. We don't do this inventory. So then, then it says right here. So I'm going to, I'm going to point out the one, two, three, four, five. And if you're taking notes, put a one, two, three, four, five, where I'm going to say, and then I'll go through it and kind (coughs) of show you what we're talking about. So one continue to watch. Put a little baby number one beside the C on continue, because that's the first step in this. Continue to watch for selfishness, dishonesty, resentment, and fear. <laughs> the little baby number two, when. When these crop up, read right beside the W on when. That's the second step in this five-step process. Um. We ask God to remove them. The little baby number three is going to go beside we discuss them. So little baby number three beside we discuss them with someone immediately. And make. So a little baby number four at make, between and and make. Make amends quickly if we have harmed anyone. And a little baby number five at then we resolutely. So in between anyone and then is a baby number five. So now I'm going to go over the process. So this is what happens when I walk out the door, but I got to be aware and I got to be convinced that selfish self-centeredness is the root of my trouble and selfish self-centeredness actually has many little branches to it, but these are the four main ones. And whenever you feel disconnected or angry or resentful or judgmental or whatever, you're acting in one of these things. So here we go. So continue to watch for selfishness, dishonesty, resentment, and fear. Boom. That's awareness. I got to be aware of what I'm thinking and what I'm feeling as I go into any situation. Let's say I walk outside and I, and I, and I get, into, get into it with somebody, Some dog is pissing on my foot. I can act out and say, get your fucking dog out of here, you fucking idiot, and and get really mad. But if I'm aware and I'm like, okay, this dog's pissing on my foot, I'm fucking resentful and I'm angry. I stop and I go, holy shit. I ask, then it says, what do I do? I ask God at once to remove it. So I got to be aware of what I'm thinking, what I'm feeling in every given circumstance. The first step in the solution is I ask God to remove it at once. That's important. First sponsors always God. We try to turn to God whenever we're starting it twisted up. If I'm at work and I feel anxiety because because I'm late. Well, I'm late because of my own self and I'm, I'm living in fear. Okay. I ask God to remove that fear at once. And then what does it say? It says we discuss them with someone immediately. So I pick up the phone. I talk to someone immediately, it says. I don't wait till the end of the day. I don't wait till tomorrow or next week when I have my meeting with my sponsor. It says I talk to a God-centered 12-step pillar immediately. And then what does it say? I make amends quickly if we have harmed anyone. So with the dog, I make amends quickly to the dog and the owner, like right away. And then I go talk to somebody maybe after because I've acted so quickly and self that I caused a lot of pain right off the bat, but whatever. I I make amends quickly if I have harmed anyone. Then it says, then we resolutely turn our thoughts to someone we can help. So then I leave that dog situation and I start praying for the owner and the dog, or maybe there's other people, doesn't matter. I can pray for people. I resolutely turn my thoughts to someone I can help. And what I've learned about that last piece of the process is I usually pray for somebody for at least 20 seconds or 40 seconds. The longer I pray for a specific person that can get into a zone of actually caring and praying for you, it actually takes me out of self. So when I look at these five-step process here, I start out with the problem of self. I go to God. I talk to a God-centered pillar. Why do I talk to the God-centered pillar? Because I'm stuck in self. And I already read step four earlier. I can find the causes and conditions. And I look, I look at the facts. So I call Tommy and I say, dude, this is what's happened in my day right now. And I can tell him all the facts. And then he might start helping me face the facts. And he's asking me questions about the facts. Knowing that I'm a rationalizer and I might not be telling him the truth, he's gonna prompt me with a bunch of questions. Well, what is it? What did they do? What did you do? Well, what time did this happen? All these kinds of things, right? It's kind of like a step five, except I'm not talking about my whole life. I'm talking about a whole situation right now on the fly. And then we find uh, um, the damaged or unsalable good. So Tommy helps me face the facts, look at the facts, look at the truth about stock and trade and find this object or unsalable good that I can discard without regret. And he's like, dude, you're acting in fucking resentment. You're acting in fear. You're acting in something you can't get. And you think you want to fucking run the show and get something out of it. You, you can't dude. So have you went to God? Yeah, I've went to God. And so he really guides me. And then he says like, dude, you got to go make an amendment. That's part of the damage and unsaleable good that I need to discard. Now I got to humble myself and make the amends. And now I resolutely turn my thoughts to someone I can help. So what happened in that little conversation that might've took five or 10 minutes? We did a step four inventory, like Tommy said, is really important. We did a step five. We discussed it with somebody and we talked about it. We did a step six. So we found what it was and I became willing to change and and relinquish it and try something different. I did a step seven, because step seven is I'm working in God's will, so I did something within God's realm. I, I did the eight, I was I wrote the list of the per person that I harmed, which was this person, and then I became willing to make an amend, which was I make an amend and I say I'm sorry, and I, and I try not to do that again. So what happened was I just ran through a whole set of steps and a five minute <coughs> phone call, And then what happens is I don't carry that with me for the rest of the day. Mm. I'm back centered with God. I've kept the channel clear and I'm okay. And if that happens five minutes down the road, I I do it again and I do it again and I do it again. This is a spot check inventory that I do all day long. And through the process of understanding this, this thing, the most important thing in this right now is awareness. I got to be aware. And then it becomes the most important thing. If, If I'm aware, then the next important thing is, am I willing? Am I willing to go to God? Am I willing to pick up the phone? Am I willing to be humbled? Am I willing to be more humiliated, humbled, humility, and go make the amend? Am I willing to pray for somebody that just pissed me off? So we're talking about humility all through this. And a lot of it's humiliation, a lot of it's humbled through pain. And if I keep doing this little process long enough, I start becoming to work with this as a working part of my mind and I don't have to do it reluctantly. It comes naturally, which is the main difference between step six and seven.
0: Yeah, and the thing thing with this step, um, like we talked about uh, sweeping shit under the rug basically. And if I follow this, I, I no longer have to do that. I, I convince myself that I'm getting away with these little things. You know, like maybe, maybe I had a good day. I got pissed off at some guy, but I still feel good, good about it. And I carry on this behavior. And then all of a sudden the next week I'm crippled with anxiety and I'm spiritually sick and I don't know why. Because I thought I was getting away with all that stuff. I thought the defects of character weren't affecting me and I didn't have to do this the way it is in the book. But then, you know, eventually I'm just gonna be crippled with defects of character. And it, it, it seems like I can't figure out why it's happening. I'm just baffled. Like, why would I feel this way? I did my prayers, I went to meetings, but I wasn't looking at all the little things from last week that I thought I was getting away with. Like the human mind is like this supercomputer. It just absorbs information. Where do you think all this shit goes? You know, like all, we still have shit affecting us from childhood, let alone last week. You know, so all these little things, if we don't keep account of everything that's going on and keep open and honest, what's going to happen is slowly, little by little, I'm going to get more blocked off, more blocked off, more closed up. And all of a sudden I'm fucked. Like I'm so disconnected and I can't figure out why. Because it's hard to see why. Because I haven't been honest with my sponsor about all the little stupid things I've been doing. And so at first, yeah, like I was phoning, I was phoning bill like every day, sometimes twice a day, like just nonstop. And then, you know, as I get in the groove of it, it's, it's, it's not as, you know, I, I just stopped doing this stuff. I don't want to make amends anymore. I'm sick of making amends. Fuck. <laughs> so I stopped, I stopped acting in defects of character. And like, if you, if you keep looking at yourself in this way, it's like, holy fuck, like eventually this has to stop. Eventually if I keep, like attacking this stuff, I'm going to stop the behavior eventually because I can see the truth and it just becomes nonsense anyway. Cause I will take my defects. of character will tell me and it'll create these stories. And then I start planning my future. I start playing God and I start getting depressed about the past again. And then I get in self pity. And then all of a sudden I have this story in my head where my life is all fucked up, you know, and that's alcoholism. But if i take care of the little things as i go then i have a clear channel i can be free i don't have to worry about it
1: i'm in a position of neutrality safe and protected just like it says and earlier in the study we talked about you know running around your life throwing matches so the spawn c typically is going to run around his life and he's going to throw matches all over He's gonna think, well, this is not really anything I should talk to my sponsor about. Oh, I got this one. Oh, this one will sweep under the carpet. And all of these little matches end up burning down the house. And then finally, he's like, okay, I gotta call my sponsor. And he calls you and he's like, oh, yeah, this is happening. The fucking house is burning down, bro. I can't help you when the house is burning down. It's really important for the sponsee to understand you call, you turn to God, and you make the call while you're throwing matches around, when you're feeling restless and irritable and discontent, when you're feeling agitated at your wife, and it won't go away, when you've had a bit of an incident at work with somebody, or you're going to, you know, when you've kicked the dog, because the next kick isn't going to be the dog, right? And like, as you're burning your life down, throwing matches around, acting out in self, relieve me of the bondage of self, because all of these things in self are what's causing you your difficulties. Please take away my difficulties. Well, the difficulties are your defects, your manifestations of self that stem from selfishness, dishonesty, resentment, and fear. So that victory over them. Well, where's the victory over these things? Right here. It's right here. This is where you have the fight with your defects that you get victorious over, but it takes great willingness because it's not easy to fucking listen. Your sponsor telling me, don't say anything back to him. Don't say anything back to her. Don't do that. And I'm like, well, fuck why they did it to me. I need to kind of say my part. Well, no, you don't. You, you pray for them. Well, it doesn't make sense to pray for them. They need to know what my point of view is. No, they don't. This is why common sense will thus become uncommon sense. And at first, as you start this process of changing, it doesn't even make sense. That's why the book says common sense thus becomes uncommon sense. As you work with power, with God, the force that you're using, which is your defects, that force always creates counterforce. Force always needs to be fed energy and fuel constantly. And through argument, you're, you're feeding each other's energy, fueling each other's fucking discontentment. And that's what it rolls on. But as you take position of power and you start using principles, it will always disintegrate force. And over time, as you practice this stuff, it starts revealing itself that this is the way to go. That's why as victory over them will bear witness as you fight through. Well, what's the principle behind the step 10? It's perseverance. Why? Because perseverance means fighting through. And as you become victorious over these things, you may bear witness to those of, that you will help with thy power, thy love, and thy way of life. Through the relinquishment of self, you can be selfless. You can start doing things for other people because you want to, because self has been relinquished. And through the process, we talked about, well, where's the first fight? Well, let's just say you're having an argument with your spouse and she's telling you, you're not doing this right. You're not doing that right. And you're not doing these things. And in your head, you're like, fuck you. I am doing these things yet. Yeah, I am this. No, I'm not that. But where's the fight? You're not fucking speaking it out loud yet. You're fighting in your own head. So as you're having these interactions with your spouse or your coworker, or whoever, your dog, even, you ask God for help right now. You take a minute. You pause when agitated, and you take a minute. You ask God for help. God help me. And in step four, it said, "Let me. This is a sick person. How may I be helpful to them? Show me the patience, tolerance, and self pity or pity that I would cheerfully grant a sick friend." That's why that prayer is there. If you're in resentment, you go to the prayer and you start looking at the person who's offending you as somebody sick. You wouldn't treat a sick person that way, now would you? That's why it says it in there. And then as you go through this, then you talk to your sponsor and say, well, this is the situation. And your sponsor guides you to more principles, more action. Well, why don't you go and tell her from your heart how you feel? Okay. Go and talk to her vulnerably from your heart, not from a place of force, but from a place of principle. And what happens? Wow, she fucking listened to me. Because the the heart was open and the language of the heart is what people really want. When you're creating force, force doesn't work. But as I go and approach her with the heart, it actually dismantles her force. And she can't combat me when I'm talking from the heart. And then it says, we make amends quickly if we have harmed anyone. And then maybe I did do some harms. And I say, you know what? I'm really, really sorry. How can, I, how can I do better or be better? Well, imagine that. How can I do better or be better, sweetie? And if she wants to keep running force at you, and you keep running power with God, eventually she's going to have nothing because power will always outdo force. And then it says we resolutely turn our thoughts to someone we can help. And then we start praying for these, this person. We start praying and then we're just like, holy shit. So what happens? You're not fighting yourself anymore. Acceptance is becoming paramount. And then if you don't fight yourself, then you don't fight somebody else. So then this takes us down a little further. Love and tolerance of others is our code. So as I follow this process, Love and tolerance of others is our code. Tolerance actually means other people's shortcomings, their actions and behaviors, their viewpoints and respect for their opinion is an attitude that makes us more useful to others. Through this process, you (coughs) will gain intolerance, true tolerance. But at first it might be tolerate. (laughs) And this is a process, right? Tolerate is humility with fucking humiliation and humble through pain. Well, tolerance is actually humility and a desire to seek and do God's will, which comes through time. And then what does it say? We have ceased fighting anything or anyone, even alcohol. Because alcohol is not the problem. Never was the problem. I'm the problem. And if you want to reread this, continue to watch for Bill. <laughs> continue to watch for Bill. Bill. When Bill crops up, you ask God to remove Bill at once. <laughs> I discuss this. I discuss Bill with someone immediately. I make amends quickly because Bill harms somebody immediately. And then, I re- then Bill resolutely turns the shots to someone he can help. Because this is me. I'm the problem. My selfish self-centeredness is at the root of all things. Our problems we think of are our, our own making. They arise out of myself. So as I follow this process over time, I will cease fighting anything or anyone. First one I quit fighting is me. And when Tommy did his step five, he got this sense of peace, peace and ease. And he wasn't fighting himself. And through him not fighting himself, he didn't need to fight anybody else. And he had this like this feeling that was indescribable, the peace of mind. Then you don't have to fight other people. And if I'm not fighting me or you, I definitely don't need to pick up a drink anymore. Because the only reason I pick up a drink is to quiet all that fucking shit. You got anything? Yeah, so the, it was actually the, um,
0: once I started to recognize through, through the five, how I've been acting my entire life and how it was driving my life, it was actually the action of doing things differently which put me in this position of neutrality safe and protected because like my wife and I were so spiritually sick and she was I was untreated alcoholism she was untreated alanonism and like we were going to fucking kill each other so I left I left and and uh I got in a position later on that you know I started dating again and you know I was so full of anxiety. There's no way I was telling her. And uh, finally got to the point where I phoned Bill and I said, dude, like Sue keeps asking me if I'm seeing somebody else. And he's like, well, what'd you say? I said, no, are you crazy? Like, I can't tell her that. She's going to fucking kill me. He said, dude, you have to. Like you absolutely have to. And I was like, fuck. Okay. And this is the pain he was talking about. Okay. So I had to pick up the phone and say, yeah, I'm seeing somebody else. My whole fucking life like blew up she fucking drained my bank account my business account she was just like on me and um rightly so but you know what the 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 feeling of telling that truth where it wasn't it it was so unselfish that um like she was able to start to heal what she needed to heal from me telling the truth and even though It didn't seem like the right thing to do, but I just trusted in Bill because honesty, it wins every time, even though the seemingly bad happens, it was the best thing that ever happened to us and we're together again and we have a great life together. But, um, I, I, um, I felt a sense of peace that I had never felt before because it was stepping into doing things differently and trusting God with the result for the first time in my life. And, uh, you know, my life has completely changed ever since there was that moment. That was the turning point of where everything in my life changed and everything I, everything I did change. So, you know, it was, it was just one of those moments where I literally felt the promises in, in here where I was in a position of neutrality. I wasn't fighting myself. I wasn't fighting her. I wasn't resentful at her actions because I knew she was sick because I learned that in step five. And I prayed for her and through those prayers, and Bill would phone me like a week later, said, Dude, has she given you the money back yet? I said, No. He's like, You okay? Say, yeah, man, I've never been better. Never been better. And how do you explain that? So, you know, <laughs> common sense thus becomes on uncommon sense. But you know, if I if I let it play out in my head, I'll be so full of fear and I'll never take action on anything on left my own devices. That's why I need a sponsor's help and I need God desperately. Because I would have never thought that that was the right thing to do. You know, it caused a lot of pain, but through the pain came so much
1: growth. It was un- indescribable growth. So. And just to highlight what Tommy was doing, it didn't matter how Tommy felt. It mattered what Tommy did. This program isn't a ma- ba- about how you feel. It's about what you do because you're going to feel all sorts of things, but it's about what you do, where your feet move and what actions are you taking? Are you following the directions? The directions are directions for a reason. Rarely have we seen a person fail who has thoroughly followed our directions. Original manuscript. If you want what we have and you are ready to follow directions, original manuscript. It's about directions. And if you're the kind of alcoholic that doesn't want to be told what to do, and you want to take this in a theoretical perspective, go ahead. Go ahead. It takes most of us a long, calm, a long time to want to have humility as something to be desired. And through this step 10 process, I actually am desiring humility. And maybe I don't desire it at first, but I definitely want to try this and give it a chance. And Tommy just did what he did and he kept doing what he was doing and he kept calling me. And through the time, the shit revealed itself and then more revealed itself. And now Tommy doesn't do the work because he doesn't want to drink. I don't do the work cause I don't want to drink. I don't, I do the work cause I don't want to feel those feelings. I don't want to feel resentment. I don't want to feel discontentment. I don't want to feel unforgiveness cause I'm the one that suffers when I fucking feel that shit. So I do this work because I want to feel as best as I can all the time. And sometimes it's fleeting and sometimes I got to do more work, but it's a gift. This is the greatest gift I ever got. I'm a grateful alcoholic drug addict. And when I first got here, I couldn't believe that people would say they were grateful drug addicts or alcoholics. I didn't get it. I get it today. This is a design for living that really works in tough going. For if the alcoholic fails to perfect and enlarge his spiritual life through the work and self-sacrifice for others. Well, what is step 10 doing? It is self-sacrificing for others. Faith alone is insufficient. The idea that I can have faith is insufficient. It says it must be accompanied by what? Self-sacrifice and unselfish constructive action. Well, what is step 10? Step 10 is self-sacrifice. I got to identify self and sacrifice it with God's help and with my pillar's help. As I sacrifice this, I get closer to God. And then I'm able to perform unselfish constructive action. Because if I'm out of self, then I'm able to maybe want to help somebody else from an altruistic perspective, which is where the gifts are. So we're going to keep reading this. So we have ceased fighting anything or anyone, even alcohol, because I won't need it anymore. For this time, sanity will have returned. Well, what is sanity? Me running my life is insanity. So if I'm doing this, I'm actually letting God run my life. That is sanity. I'm scared shitless to run my own life today. I don't want to run it. Right, Matt B? Yeah, dude. We don't want to run our own life. We know what happens. When I make the smallest decisions based on resentment or dishonesty or fear or selfishness, there's always pain that follows, always. But you can't get awareness to this unless you stay sober and you practice this. And as you practice this and you stay sober, you start seeing this stuff. And it's like, holy fuck, I don't want anything to do. I'm absolutely convinced that any life ran on my self-will is not successful. So sanity is returned. We will seldom be interested in liquor. If tempted, we recoil from it as from a hot flame. Because I don't want it. I don't need it. We react sanely and normally. We will find that this has happened automatically. So if you have a drug and alcohol problem and you can't leave it alone and you you understand what we're laying out here and you get to these steps like this, it says this has happened automatically. It's just like your relationship with God in step two. This, that's what the book is about. It will enable you to find the power that will solve your problem of substance. But it actually enables you to find the power that will solve your problem of self. And it will happen automatically if you're following the directions, not a theory. We will see that our new attitude towards liquor has been given us without any thought or effort on our part. It just comes. That is the miracle of it. We are not fighting it. It Neither are we avoiding temptation. We're not resisting it. We just don't need it. We feel as though we have been placed in a position of neutrality, safe and protected. So we get placed in a position of neutrality with alcohol because we don't need it. But really what we're talking (coughs) about is Tommy alluded to it. He gets placed in a position of neutrality within his own head. Cause he's okay. And he doesn't need to fight anything or anyone. And if he, if he's in a position of neutrality, safe and protected within his own mind, he's safe and protected and put in a position of neutrality out there with his fellows. Cause he doesn't need anything from them. And it's a great place to be safe and protected in a position of neutrality within your own head and within your fellows. We have not even sworn off. Instead, the problem has been removed. What's the problem that's been removed? Well, first, it's the drugs and alcohol. But no, I get removed, which is why I read that thing with when Bill crops up. We ask God to remove Bill immediately. We talk to someone about Bill immediately. I get removed. It does not exist for us. My selfish, self-centeredness, resentment, and fear does not exist if I follow the process. We are near the, near, neither cocky nor afraid. That is our experience. That's how we react so long as we keep and fit spiritual condition. while well, that direction right there is how I keep and fit spiritual condition. Moment by moment by moment throughout the day. We're not going to do this perfectly, but... We're going to do it to the best of our ability, and there will definitely be spiritual growth. It is easy to let up on the spiritual program of action and rest on our laurels. Well, it's easy to let up on this action and rest on yesterday's recovery because you feel good today. It's way easier to let up on this action stuff because you feel good, but it doesn't matter how you feel. You feel good. doesn't matter you feel good. It's what you do. It's always what you do. And I think for me, I used to feel good and then I'd let up on the spiritual program of action and then later I'd feel like shit. And then I'd look back and go, what am I not doing? Well, I'm not keeping up on the things that I would, my actions. And then I'd have to kind of fucking do a bunch of work and get back up to where I was. And it was, it was laborish. And then I started realizing, okay, every time I feel like shit, I'm missing something. So I close the gap and I'm like, okay, I don't want to, I don't want to feel like that anymore. So I'm just going to do this stuff every day. And so I do it every day. Some days I still take breaks and I suffer from it. But self is very powerful and it wants to run the show. That's why step 11 says we got to constantly remind ourselves we are no longer running the show. Why? Because my disease wants to constantly run the show. So we are headed for trouble if we do, for alcohol is a subtle foe. We are not cured of alcoholism. What we really have is a daily reprieve contingent on the maintenance of our spiritual condition. Well, my spiritual condition lies within my step 10 and my other disciplines. Every day is a day where we must carry the vision of God's will into all of our activities. Well, every single action or activity in my life If I'm following step 10, I'm bringing the vision of God's will into everything I'm doing. That's why step 10 is so fucking important. And it's not about what it says on the wall in the rooms. It's about what it says right here. Directions. This is your directions. How can I best serve thee? Thy will, not mine be done. Again, that's what step 10 does. These are thoughts which must go with us constantly. So I got to be aware. I got to be aware. Always awareness first. Without awareness, none of the shit happens. And then once you're aware, without willingness, none of this shit happens. And without fucking willingness, you can't be honest and you can't be open-minded. So those are important. We can exercise our willpower along this line all we wish. It is the proper use of the will. Much has already been said about receiving strength and inspiration and direction from him who has all knowledge and power. Now, this line is really important. If we have followed directions carefully, if we have carefully followed directions, well, what directions? (laughs) The five-step directions we just gave you on the previous page. If you have followed these directions carefully, what does it say? We have begun to sense this flow of his spirit into us. What did it say over here in step 10? We have entered into the world of the spirit. To some extent, we have become God conscious. Yeah, why? Because I'm acting in self, I identify it, I turn to God. I talk to a pillar, he directs me back to God. And then as I practice this, I'm always trying to turn to God. That's the actual attitude. The most profound result of all was our change in our attitude towards God. God's no longer a theory in my life. God's no longer something I think about when I wake up and I go to bed, if I even do. God is actually the central fact of my life today. The great fact is just this and nothing left. We have had deep and effective spiritual experiences that have revolutionized our whole attitude towards life, towards God, and towards our fellows. That's what this does. It will revolutionize your whole outlook towards life. His spirit into us to some extent we have become god conscious we have begun to develop this vital sixth sense i start relying on god i pause i i pray i meditate and i got i get the intuition answers from truth from my true self of who i actually am and i'm able to go talk to somebody with truth the sixth sense most of my life been run on five senses But there's one, and it's an untapped inner resource. It's the fundamental idea of God that actually guides my life. It's love, kindness, forgiveness. And as I get in touch with this thing, it actually starts guiding all my answers and decisions that I make in my life from a point of principles. And I'm using power to run my life, and it combats the force. And it's always force that fucks up my life because I'm fighting with it. but we must go further. And that means more action guns. You got anything on directions mm-hmm. or six cents or
0: well, the thing is when, so like when I sponsor, like I, I, I have to have that clear channel because, you know, I, I really rely on my intuition when someone phones it and I mean, it's not always there like every moment, that's for sure. And sometimes I just don't have an answer for certain, for people. And, um, you know, um, but the thing is with this, like I have to learn how to discern before I react. And this teaches me that like, I need to, cause I used to like in alcoholism, fuck, like I was telling Bill, like Sue and I, we've been together eight years and we've moved seven times. Cause it's always like, Oh yeah. Like we're just going and like just madness. Right always moving always buying new trucks always doing things like i never really ever took any time to to take a minute to discuss it with people to bring it back home to meditate on it maybe give it two or three days before actually making a decision until in my heart i know for sure that it's the right answer but if i'm all blocked off and i'm not doing this process then my mind's going to start telling me it's god it's god it's god god wants me to do this like like instantly like that right But really, I've learned that it takes days, even weeks sometimes to get the real answer that I'm looking for. And it comes through other people sometimes. Maybe it comes from a conversation. Maybe it comes from meditation.